0: Before we start this afternoon, I've gotten into the habit in recent years of sharing a few news notes that come across my view about where we are in the scope of time, history, and closing events. And I thought this was very interesting. As you know, the Pope recently got himself into some difficulty with the Muslim world by some comments that he made. And uh, it was very interesting when he said Islam is a violent religion. And it's very interesting that in their protest against what the Pope was saying, they rioted, they attacked Christians, and they killed. That's a very interesting response to his claim. Uh, They even issued a a fatwa to kill Pope Benedict for his blasphemous statements about Muhammad. Uh, And so he thought he needed to mend some fences. And believe it or not, he did a Muslim type of penance. Uh, he went to the Blue Mosque in Istanbul, and he prayed toward Mecca to show that he would be in harmony with uh, with their interests. And the cameras focused on Pope Benedict as he bowed his head and began to move his lips in silent prayer. The only sound you could hear in the stillness of the Grand Mosque was the snapping of cameras as news networks instantaneously beamed this startling message image to televisions around the world. And it's very interesting, I thought that you have to go back to the year 1077 to find something similar to that. King Henry IV, the king of Germany, crossed the Alps in the dead of winter to do penance for offending the pope. And once at the castle where Pope Gregory was a guest, the king stood for three days barefoot in the snow before the king would give him an audience. So there you have a king doing penance for the pope, and now you have a pope doing penance for the Muslim world. Very interesting times in which we live, aren't they? Uh, Another interesting news note. An official state media website in Iran has posted a message heralding the coming of the Shiite messianic figure, figure, Imam Mahdi, noting he would arrive with Jesus by the spring equinox. So the Imam messianic Mahdi will come with Jesus. He will appear on earth. Mahdi will be the leader, while Jesus will be his lieutenant in the struggle against oppression and establishment of justice in the world. So that is the latest in their predictions from their perspective is what's going to happen. And uh, again, interesting things, but now more close to home. The folks that are wanting to promote morality, justice, honor, and faith in the United States Here's an interesting perspective from the book, The Changing of the Guard Biblical Principles for Political Action. Christians have an obligation, a mandate, a commission, a holy responsibility to reclaim the land for Jesus Christ, to have dominion in civil structures, just as in every other aspect of life and godliness. But it is dominion we are after, not just a voice. It is dominion we are after, not just influence. It is dominion we are after, not just equal time. It is dominion we are after. World conquest. That's what Christ has commissioned us to accomplish, and we must never settle for anything less. Keep in mind, folks, that in all the rhetoric, all the things that we can agree with as to the concerns of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, it is more than just the voice of persuasion that they are seeking. It is dominion. And if that isn't the image to the beast, I don't know what is. We are seeing it formed in front of our eyes. Another interesting thing. A church in suburban St. Paul. A congregation of 5,000 members. The pastor, Boyd is his name. He lost 1,000 of his members. 20% of his church. Left his church. How do you lose 1,000 of 5,000 members by saying things like this? America wasn't founded as a theocracy. America was founded by people trying to escape theocracies. Never in history have we had a Christian theocracy where it wasn't bloody and barbaric. That's why our Constitution wisely put in a separation of church and state. I am sorry to tell you that America is not the light of the world and the hope of the world. The light of the world and the hope of the world is Jesus Christ. And he lost 20% of his church for that kind of rhetoric. That is not what they want to hear. And that's how you lose membership if you're pastoring one of the large mega churches today. We are seeing it, my friends. If we aren't getting serious about the times in which we live, I don't know when we will ever get serious. This is the time above all that uh, we are seeing Revelation 13 fulfilled in front of our eyes. Now, a couple of announcements so we know where we're headed together. Number one, we have two meetings scheduled for this afternoon. The first meeting will be more of a sermon presentation. The second meeting will be more of a classroom presentation. Is there one or two of you that know what that's like around here? Ah. (laughs) And so we will have a little break in between the two meetings. And then after the second meeting, we will do the time honored question and answer. So you'll get a chance to ask me questions that I can't answer. Okay? so we'll do that after the second meeting. Also, again, we always bring with us our tapes, CDs, uh, DVDs. We have advanced into uh, the the category of CD and DVD almost exclusively now, so we have all of that material. And uh, and in addition to that, the reason my son wasn't with me this morning was he was over two buildings removed in Dr. Roth's Sabbath school class, uh, sort of a scientific uh, approach to uh, Sabbath school. And uh, and he presented his newest presentation called, Could the Blind Watchmaker Account for This? A very famous book came out a while back about the blind watchmaker and how it can solve the problems of life. Uh, a blind watchmaker really can produce all the things we see around us is the theme of the book. And so his presentation was on diversity and design in the animal world, showing how the evolutionary method really doesn't have good answers for that diversity in design. So that was what he was doing over there. And when I got done here, I said, "Where? where is the rest of them? And we went over there, and they were going till 1215 uh, over there with questions and all kinds of things. Well, he's got that on DVD as well. Just put it together, and so that is available as well. So we have some new productions in, in that area. In addition to that, I always bring with me some extra study materials, little booklets and pamphlets on various subjects pertaining to the things I talk about. And if you would like to have something extra to take home with you for your own personal study, then I do not hand these out broadside. You ask me for them and I'd be glad to share some things with you. So ask if you wish to have extra study material. And lastly, again, my website is available for anybody who wants to dig deeper into some of these things. The message I shared this morning, God on Trial, is on my website and uh, many other subjects as well. And you're welcome to access it. dennispreby.com. Dennispreby.com is for your use if you find that helpful. All right. I think we're ready to begin. It's true, isn't it, that you have to be a Seventh-day Adventist to receive salvation and become a child of God? Do only Seventh-day Adventists have their names written in the book of life? Are there true born-again Christians in other Christian denominations? Pretty clear on that, aren't you? Turn to the book of Acts with me. Acts chapter 16. Here's the famous story of Paul and Silas and the singing in prison until midnight and the great earthquake and the jailer ready to kill himself. Verse 30. Finally, when Paul said, don't kill yourself, we're all here. And the all was all. He kept all the prisoners there, apparently. Verse 30. He brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. End of story. No doctrinal studies of beliefs. No going through 28 doctrines. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. All right, if it's true, and you're right, that a person doesn't have to be a Seventh-day Adventist to receive salvation, and if it is true that Adventists are not the only ones to have their names written in the book of life, And if it is true that there are born again Christians in other churches throughout the world, then what is the significance of the seventh day Adventist church? That becomes the question. And as a result, for many Adventists, there has been emerging an identity crisis. Who are we and why? What is our special purpose? Even came across an interesting article in a review article. And listen carefully to the words here. We are part of a great Christian community that includes people of all denominations. Maybe we need to stop counting accessions to church membership that come from faithful Christians of other denominations and focus our energies on the real target of the Great Commission, winning lost people for the kingdom of God. Catch the focus. The ones in other Christian denominations are not lost. Therefore, we shouldn't focus on bringing Methodists into Adventism or Lutherans into Adventism or Catholics into Adventism. But we should focus on those who deny any faith. And they're the only ones that are lost. We are all part of God's great orchestra, he concluded. All of us part of one great orchestra singing God's praises. Well, someone wrote in a letter after that article was printed and said, I'm glad the author was not around to persuade the early pioneers of Adventism to remain in their prospective churches. Or the thousands of Christians, including my mother, who were convinced they needed to come out and join the remnant church. There seems to be a loss of understanding of why God raised up the Seventh-day Adventist church. Hmm. I think it's important both as individuals and as members of a body of believers, that we do come to grips with why, in fact, we are Seventh-day Adventists. In the past years, the conviction was held that the church, this church, had a life-and-death message to give to people, that if it was not accepted, people might well be lost, that if we didn't share this message, they might not be saved. We spoke much of allegiance to the message or the truth, Don't hear those words quite so often these days, do we? The message, the truth. A key question emerges just here. Is this church, did God bring this church into existence to be a means to an end or as an end in itself? And that becomes an issue that every one of us have to think through a little bit. History teaches us that unless we are careful What God designed to be a means to an end becomes an end to itself to continue its own existence for its own purpose. We are here. We can't die now. We can't go out of existence. We've got to stay as we are. God did call the Jewish people into existence as a means to an end or as an end. Means to an end. Reveal the character of God to the world around them and bring in the Gentile world to Jerusalem. But all of a sudden, that means became an end in itself. And now you had to be Jewish to enjoy the benefits of salvation and the blessing of God. In fact, when Jesus challenged the Jewish leaders, look at their response. It's in the book of John, John chapter 8. After Jesus had just said, ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Look at their response. John 8, verse 33. They answered him, we be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man. Isn't that interesting? Since the Romans were in control of everything they did right then. But nevertheless, we be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man. Verse 39. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. When Jesus said, you are not free, you are slaves. They said, no way, we're not, we're not, we're not slaves. We are children of Abraham. When you're challenged as to why you are a Seventh-day Adventist, do you go back to William Miller or do you go back to Ellen White? God gave this message a prophet. God led this message out, this movement out from the Millerite movement. We are children of, and that's why we are Seventh-day Adventists. Could we fall into the same trap the Jews did? We are the favored ones of God. You are not. Therefore, we're better than you are. As the coming of our Lord and Savior draws closer and closer, I believe that Seventh-day Adventists the Seventh-day Adventist Church is not to be just another denomination in the denominational scene. Another ism in the many isms that there are out there. We are to be a voice crying out in the modern wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. That is what we're called to do. Our mandate goes beyond what our beloved brothers and sisters in Christ have been doing for centuries. We're rather new on the scene. Billy Graham. Billy Graham has been responsible for bringing tens of thousands of people to Jesus Christ, convicting them of their sin, convicting them of the necessity to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. But the message God gave to this group, this movement, our pioneers, was not just a message to call sinners to repentance. That had been done by many in past centuries. But now to prepare those who had received salvation... So they wouldn't be deceived by events at the close of time. And that's what I want to focus on right here. The message that God has given this church is not just to save sinners for salvation, as important as that is, but primarily to keep the saved from being lost as earth winds down into the close of probation. To keep the saved from being lost. Let's look once more at that great commission in Matthew chapter 28. The one that we always look at when we say, what is our mission? What is our purpose? Matthew 28, you know where it is, 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever i have commanded you and lo i am with you always even unto the end of the world is our message primarily reaching and baptizing or is that just half of our message isn't it teaching to observe all things not just the basics not just the fundamentals but all things about the way god works and how we respond and especially he says even unto the end of the world For hundreds of years, Jewish believers believed in the coming of the Messiah. They were not all clear as to how he would come or the circumstances of his coming. They had some different ideas on that. But for centuries, that lack of understanding wasn't a real problem. Because as long as you believed that the Messiah was coming and he was going to be a deliverer and he was the one who was the antitype of the lambs being sacrificed, apparently it was enough even when their thinking it was a little cloudy about his mission. But at one crucial moment in the year A.D. 31, it now became important to understand more than that the Messiah was coming. They needed to know what he was, who he was, how he was coming, and what his mission was. And because they did not understand those things clearly, they crucified the Messiah. All of a sudden, what was allowable became Treason against God. And they were rejected as a nation. You see, at crisis times, truth becomes critically important. You might get by with error in less critical times. Martin Luther taught some errors about the character of God. And yet God used him in a mighty way. But those were not the crisis times in which you and I live. Just before the close of probation, many of our brothers and sisters in Christ love the Lord Jesus with all their hearts. They are committed to Jesus Christ and they are obedient to him as best they can tell. Their names are written in heaven. There's no question about that. Yet many of them are overburdened by traditions not founded in the word of God. And God has taken upon himself to get a message to these beloved children of his to tell them how Satan is deceiving them before the end of time and what it will mean at crisis time. So they will not be sucked into Satan's errors. This message is designed to strip away the errors that have accumulated along with the good things throughout Christian history. And our mission is to prepare the way for Jesus to come. It is bigger than just bringing souls to salvation. Some people are saying that as Seventh-day Adventists, we as a church ought not to preach doctrines, just preach Jesus. That's what our focus should be. Well, the teachings of the Seventh-day Adventist church, which I believe are a fleshing out of the gospel of Jesus Christ, were not a life and death issue in past generations. For instance, our great-grandfather, our great-grandparents, could live and die with the belief that when they died, they would go to heaven immediately. And many of them lived and died with that belief. For them, it may not have mattered that they were misunderstanding a crucial teaching of the Bible. It was their faith, their honesty, and their heart that mattered. But now, in a generation which is amazed by apparitions of the Virgin Mary, in which this will become a unifying force around the world to draw Christians into total unity and with perhaps the Muslim world as well, is it now becoming critical to understand the truth about life and especially death and appearances from the dead? At crisis time, you see. A doctrine can make a huge difference in the direction our lives take doctrines. Some people don't like doctrines very well. A doctrine is simply a statement that one believes and holds to be true. For instance, one could say that God is an absolute mind from which all ideas emanate. That happens to be a doctrine about God. He's pure mind. That's all he is. Another could say that God is the ultimate good from which all sense of values flow. That's a doctrine about God. Another person could say that God is an absolute impersonal force permeating all nature and ourselves. And we have to find this God within us. That's also a doctrine about God. And some could deny the existence of God altogether. That is a doctrine about God. A doctrine is simply a teaching about God. And then someone else might say, no, God is a person. He's infinite in wisdom. He's loving. He's caring. He has created beings in his own image. And then when they got into trouble, he sent his own son down to die for them and and give them a chance to live eternally. Do you think it makes a difference which doctrine we believe? In terms of our lifestyle, our attitudes, our perspectives, the belief system, the worship practices, the relational structure and the ethical norms flow out of your concept of God and are shaped by your doctrine of God. We will live differently depending on our doctrine of God, how we perceive him, how, he, how we understand him to be. In fact, let's look at Matthew chapter 15, Matthew chapter 15. Let us be very careful not to denigrate doctrine as some are doing. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 9. Jesus said to the people that he was having trouble with, in vain do they worship me. In vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Have we got some commandments of men in our world today among those loving Christians that are in God's books of life, God's book of life? And will it cause them trouble down the line? And so we need to think about our doctrines very carefully. Some Christians, again, say, don't confuse us with doctrine. What we want is Jesus. Well, then, which Jesus? Is it the prophet that the Muslim world will accept? Not divine, just a good prophet, a good teacher, you see. Is he a good teacher, one of the many incarnations of the absolute force that Hindus would accept? Is he the model person that a humanist would say, I want to be like that? He had good values. Or is he perhaps a radical reformer who tried his best to reform the system and failed and died as a martyr? Which doctrine will we believe? Which definition? If you believe that Jesus is God, taking upon himself human form, taking our sins upon him, ascending again to sit at the right hand of God, ministering in the holy place and coming back at the end of time. Which doctrine do you prefer to believe about Jesus Christ? It makes a difference, doesn't it? Which Jesus you worship without doctrinal clarification. You won't know which Jesus really is the true Jesus at all. It's not a question of Jesus versus doctrine. It's a question of Jesus in doctrine. Jesus come through all doctrine. Can one be saved by believing in a doctrine? John Wesley said it well. The devils believe and still remain devils. <laughs> Salvation is a result of accepting Jesus as Savior. No question about that. Coming to him, placing our lives in him, walking as he walked, living as he lived, trusting him all by his grace and power. If salvation is coming to Jesus and accepting Jesus as a savior, do we need the doctrine of Jesus? We want to make sure we go to the right Jesus, don't we? Turn again to one more text. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The only salvation that exists is in the Jesus the Bible portrays, not the Jesus of any humanist or Buddhist or Muslim theologies. This is the only Jesus that saves. Believe in a false Jesus who is a Jesus that never existed, and you will believe in a false gospel, guaranteed. It is critically important to believe in the right Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. And some even try to make a distinction between Jesus and behavior. Came across this interesting little article. I will even go so far as to say that even if it slows down behavioral growth, it is supremely important to stay more focused on Jesus than on behavior. Interesting thought. Even if it slows down behavioral growth, we need to stay focused on Jesus. Is that possible? If you stay focused on Jesus, will your behavioral growth be slowed down? How is that possible? It's got to be, it's got to build up. If you're focused on Jesus, your behavioral growth will shoot up like a, 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 a tree. I find that a very odd thing. Even if it slows down behavioral growth, we must focus on Jesus. Some Adventists even want to say that we should baptize people into the body of Christ. That's the Christian core. And after they've been baptized into the core teachings of Jesus Christ, then the Adventist essentials should be taught to them gradually along the line. Well, would our pioneers think too highly of that? Back in the early days, after 1844, they talked about a body of people committed to Jesus Christ. And our pioneers made no difference at all, believe me, between the body of Christ and being Seventh-day Adventists. Have we lost that? The remnant. You know what it is. Revelation chapter 12, 17. You don't even have to look that one up, do you? Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. The dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And again, a defining matter there. And of course, we think about commandments as yes, we Adventists have the Ten Commandments. But let's listen. Mount of Blessing 55. Jesus proceeded to show his hearers what it means to keep the commandments of God, that it is a reproduction in themselves of the character of Christ. That's commandment keeping anything short of that is wanting to keep the commandments hoping to keep the commandments wishing to keep the commandments the character of Jesus Christ the name seventh day Adventist should tell us something shouldn't it that this means faithfulness to the teachings and lifestyle of the body of Christ as he taught it for instance. If we believe that we should just have a core of doctrines that are essential for salvation, which doctrines will we choose to leave out? These are core doctrines. This will say these are non-essential doctrines to salvation. Which are the doctrines we will choose to set aside in that area? Will it be the Sabbath? Will it be baptism by immersion? Will it be Christian behavior? Are they not also Christian core essentials? as well as the belief in Jesus Christ as Savior. The entire doctrinal system must be true or no part of it is really true at all. It's got a wholeness. It's got a unity here, not just picking out parts. Turn to 1 John, 1 John chapter 2. Verse four First John chapter two verse four. And remember again we're reading the apostle of love. He that saith I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that are in him, that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Isn't that crystal clear? Do we need to be hedging about that? If you're saying, I believe in him, I abide in him, I know him. We have to be living like him. And Christian behavior is involved in that and Christian standards and Christian lifestyle. That is not one of the peripherals. That is heart and soul of being part of the body of Christ. But then what about Acts chapter sixteen thirty one? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's all. There was no doctrinal set of beliefs. Will you quit smoking? Will you quit drinking? Et cetera, et cetera. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. One little thing to remember here. There weren't any huge heresies going in the first century like we have today. Huge heresies. It wasn't until later in history with the onslaught of paganism and Greek philosophy and all of this coming into the church that church leaders began to bring in totally wrong teachings into the Christian church. Totally false teaching Sunday worship salvation by works infant baptism immortality of the soul. All of these things began to come in. Does that not make preparation for baptism today just a little more complicated than it was when Peter was preaching and Paul was preaching? To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today, you have to disbelieve some of the errors of Satan that have become commonplace, orthodox and mainstream in the Christian church. And we have those things to face. Revival of these truths does not make them Adventist particulars. They are Christian beliefs and they are core beliefs, not just useful for entry into the Seventh-day Adventist church, as I am hearing, but useful for entry into the kingdom of heaven. And that's the only reason to teach anything. The only issue for truth, is it true and has, is it vital to salvation? And I believe that's, why we, that what, that's what we must find. We will not speak about two modes of truth, one to enter the Christian faith and be saved and one to enter the Adventist church and be a part of the church. There are not two modes of truth. There is one mode of truth. All of our doctrines are just expressions of the truth as it is in Jesus. One more text, Matthew chapter four, verse four. Matthew 4, 4, another familiar text to all of us. He answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We can't pick and choose here. Oh, well, we like this one. This seems important and that doesn't seem so important. Do you know that the Seventh-day Adventist Church has a twin sister? It's called the Advent Christian Church. They exist today. The Advent Christian Church, both Seventh-day Adventism and the Advent Christian Church share our common roots within the Millerite movement. Both came out of William Miller's teaching, but they never accepted the Sabbath. They never accepted the gift of prophecy and they never accepted the sanctuary message that we believe in as Seventh-day Adventists. And their ardor for the second coming of Jesus Christ has gotten a little dim Over the over the hundred years that have passed, I want you to hear what they voted at a 1961 Advent Christian Church state conference in which it was unanimously passed this resolution. A little thought should make it very evident to any of us that we can never again preach the kingdom message as our fathers preached it and make any impact upon the church or the world. We don't understand the time periods. We still believe we were basically right about the symbols of Daniel and Revelation. And yet the whole subject of predictive prophecy is so involved that it is utterly impossible for any Adventist preacher to go to the world with the deep conviction and sense of certainty that our fathers did. And because we can't and don't, it seems to the church that we have lost our message and our reason for being. You cannot rejuvenate the Advent Christian people unless and until a sense of certainty and urgency gives wings to our words and we can speak with confidence and certainty. People often ask, why don't we have any great prophetic preaching anymore? The simple fact is that such preaching today is utterly impossible. For prophetic preaching to carry any weight with intelligent audiences in our day, we shall have to know a lot of things that we don't know and can't know. But to keep our self-respect and win the respect of the people, we must refrain from pretending to know what we do not know. To keep on saying that he's coming soon will impress no one, least of all the kind of audience that we have great need of reaching. That's our twin sister. Same roots, same prophecies. Same urgency to preach Jesus coming soon and now can't tell, don't know, maybe, uh, can't be sure. And all of a sudden, there is no possibility to preach with urgency and certainty. And truth be told, some of our own Seventh-day Adventist members and some of our Adventist ministers share kindred feelings with these dear twin sisters of ours that we can't know we can't preach with certainty anymore you can't cry wolf too often it's not going to happen so let's just back off and live in the present and see what god will do i say we lose adventism if that happens when elder robert pearson retired as president of the general conference he gave one of the most stirring appeals that i've ever heard in my lifetime It was 1978 as he retired, and here is what he said. Regrettably, there are those in the church, and now he's not talking about the Advent Christian church. He is talking about the beloved Seventh-day Adventist church of which we are a part. Regrettably, there are those in the church who belittle the inspiration of the total Bible. Don't kid yourself. It's real. Who scorn the first 11 chapters of Genesis who question the spirit of prophecy's short chronology of the age of the earth, and who subtly and not so subtly attack the spirit of prophecy. Was he right? Is he right? There are those who point to the reformers and contemporary theologians as a source and the norm for Seventh-day Adventist doctrine. There are those who wish to forget the standards of the church we love. There are those who covet and would court the favor of the evangelicals. Those who would throw off the mantle of a peculiar people. Fellow leaders, beloved brethren and sisters, don't let it happen. I appeal to you as earnestly as I know how this morning, don't let it happen. I appeal to Andrews University, to the seminary, to Loma Linda University, don't let it happen. We are not seventh day Anglicans, not seventh day Lutherans. We are Seventh-day Adventists. This is God's last church with God's last message. You are the men and women, the leaders whom God is counting on to keep the Seventh-day Adventist church God's remnant church, the church God has destined to triumph. Please notice the phrasing, to keep the Seventh-day Adventist church God's remnant church. We have no guarantees that we are going to be the remnant church. We say we are, but that doesn't make it so. The remnant church keeps the commandments of God and has the testimony of Jesus Christ. And if we're doubting those things and questioning them, are we the remnant church? And so he said, we must keep the Seventh-day Adventist church, God's remnant church. Well, Elder Pearson is no longer with us. His voice is silenced. And now it's up to us, every one of us. To keep this Seventh-day Adventist church, God's remnant church. It's not someone else. Don't depend on the president of the conference, the pastor of the church. This is our job. To keep this Seventh-day Adventist church, God's remnant church. And in his presentation, he quoted two statements from Ellen White. Review and Herald, November, November 5, 1903. God calls for men who are prepared to meet emergencies, men who in a crisis will not be who in a crisis will not be found standing on the wrong side. Ah, what happened to the Jews? They were standing on the wrong side in crisis time. Are we going to stand again? Review. Review. December 6, 1892. We are pressing on to the final conflict, and this is no time to compromise. It is no time to hide your colors. When the battle wages sore, let no one turn traitor. It is no time to lay down or conceal our weapons and give Satan the advantage in the warfare. And so, are we going to retreat into the grayness of Christianity, or are we going to stand with a light shining for Christianity? That's the question. Again, Selected Messages, Volume 2, page 391. What a wonderful thought it is that the great controversy is nearing its end. In the closing work, we shall meet with perils that we know not how to deal with. But let us not forget that the three great powers of heaven are working, that a divine hand is on the wheel, and that God will bring his purposes to pass. He will gather from the world a people who will serve him in righteousness. Do we have that absolute confidence? That certainty that we are called to bring that people together into unity to receive the seal of God. Are we sure about it? If we have doubts, we can't give the message with clarity, with certainty. And we will be like our brothers and sisters in the Advent Christian church. One last little thought from the spirit of prophecy. Review and Herald, November 12, 1914, one year before she died. The Lord has ever required his people to show in all their habits of life. Now we're getting close to where it hurts, my friends. We're not talking about doctrines now. We're not talking about church beliefs. We're not talking about, do you believe in the seventh day Sabbath? Do you believe in tithing? We're talking about our diet. We're talking about the things we read. We're talking about the the things we do for entertainment, the habits of life. The Lord has ever required his people to show in all their habits of life a marked difference between themselves and worldlings. And now let's just ask ourselves honestly the question. Are you seeing that today in our families? A marked difference from the world's values and our values in the video games we play, in the movies we watch, in the music we listen to, in the books we read, etc., etc. In both the Old and the New Testament... The Lord has positively enjoined upon his people to be distinct from the world in spirit, your attitude, in pursuits, the things you do, in practice, to be a holy nation, a peculiar people. The East is not farther from the West than are the children of light in customs, practices and spirit from the children of darkness. Do we begin to understand that concept? The East is not farther from the West than God's children from the way the world lives. We're not talking about separating from people in the world because we have to reach them. We're talking about the practices of the world, the values of the world, the the things the world participates in. And this distinction will be more marked, more decided as we near the close of time. I'm going to read that again so we get it. And this distinction will be more marked, more decided, as we near the close of time. Reference is Review and Herald, November 12, 1914. And that is exactly the opposite of what is happening in our families today. The distinctions are becoming blurred. Blurred. And you can't tell an Adventist Christian from anyone else, much less even another Christian or not a Christian at all, as they walk down the street. And that should not be. That should not be. It is not a profession of faith or a name registered in the church book that constitutes us children of God. It is a vital connection with Christ. And remembering again, the customs and the practices and the habits mean nothing without a vital connection with God. That's what needs to drive our habits. We must be one with him, imbued with his spirit, partakers of the divine nature, crucified to the world with its affections and lusts, renewed in knowledge and true holiness. God requires of his blood-bought heritage the sanctification of the whole being, purity like the purity of Christ, perfect conformity to the will of God be ye therefore perfect as God's word to us. And in order that we might obey this word, he sent his only begotten son to this earth to live in our behalf, a perfect life. We have before us his example and the strength by which he lived this life. We also may have. He didn't live that life because he was God. He absolutely did not. In fact, His own desires went contrary to the will of God because he said, I came not to do my will, but thy will. He had to say every day, not my will, but thine be done every day. And his strength derived solely from his heavenly father is the strength we can derive from Jesus Christ today. There is no difference, not a shred of difference. And so, my friends, he has given a precious message to this church. Seventh-day Adventist church and to this message must be true to go back now to being as good as they have been Methodist or Baptist or generically evangelical is impossible if we want to be seventh-day Adventist today the gospel I'm afraid. Our gospel, the gospel we are hearing, the gospel we are believing is becoming more and more evangelical every year and less Adventist. You say it all went away when Desmond Ford disappeared off the scene of Adventism? No, it went underground. And now it is five times stronger than it was when Desmond Ford was my colleague at Pacific Union College. We are far closer to evangelicalism today than we were in the late 70s and early 80s. As darkness continues to cover the earth and gross darkness the people, we must grasp the fact that God has called this movement into existence for such a time as this. We are Esthers in crisis time. And if we don't carry out our mission, we have no reason for existence. This is no time for us to become generic Christians. Let us be Seventh-day Adventists. What do you say?